0: It was 600 years before Christ lived among us when Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem, besieged it, and stole away some of the treasures of the temple and some of the treasures of the people, their young men. Daniel was just a teenager when he was taken from his home, his homeland, his place of worship, and given all the education of the Babylonians. He was taken with a group of young men who were distinguished in the fact that they were healthy, wealthy, intelligent, strong, young men. These men were taken because of all those traits, but Daniel had something much deeper, something much stronger that was going on deep within him. So when he got to Babylon, even though they trained him in all things Babylonian, even though they changed his name to a Babylonian name, Daniel never let anything there compromise his relationship with God. He stood against it strongly. And yet what's amazing in the story of Daniel is that he continues to have success in that foreign culture. He's appointed to governmental post after governmental post, uh, serving many kings, even different kingdoms that overthrew one another. And he was there well into his 80s in these governmental posts. So when we come to Daniel 6, most commentators see Daniel as an old man. He's in his 80s when this story takes place. And he is once again... Uh, coming into his own as one successful and yet having to stand against the culture around him. Because Darius is organizing his kingdom, putting it all together, has these 120 satraps, three presidents watching over them. Daniel was one of them. He distinguishes himself, and all the other leaders don't like that. I mean, he's a foreigner. He's got a different religion and... We don't like that. So they checked into his life. Uh, They tried to find in his work something that he had done wrong. Apparently, there were no embarrassing emails (laughs) or videos that could be leaked to the press and therefore find him unfit for the presidency. Daniel came out clean. The only thing they could do was to go after his faith. Maybe there we can trap him. So they got the king to set up this law that for 30 days, everyone would pray only to the king. And anybody who didn't would get thrown into a den of lions. Now, many of us know maybe, first of all, Daniel in the den of lions, but maybe, just maybe we've forgotten how he got there. This story tells us, and especially Verse 10, if you have the text open, you might want to look at that. We're going to look at it phrase by phrase. Verse 10 says, although Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he continued. He continued. You see, Daniel had a rhythm to his spiritual life that he kept going no matter what even if it was against the law, even if it might cost him his life. He continued to do what he saw in his life fed his soul and kept him in contact with his living God. And he was not going to let anything get in the way of that. So Daniel continued this practice. Notice he didn't, when things got hot, He he didn't have to start up something, something new. He didn't turn to God in like a foxhole conversion. No, this was something he just kept this rhythm going. He had it there. He knew it was right, and he kept it going. He continued. To go to his house, not only was this practice habitual, but it was private. You see, in order to keep in touch with God, especially in a foreign culture, You need to find places of of silence and solitude, a special place, and for him, it was his house, which had windows in its upper room open, and so there's a privateness to it, and yet in some ways there's a public openness to what he's doing. He has nothing to hide. He's not embarrassed by this. He has this routine down, and it's known enough that these fellow leaders knew they could catch him at this practice. So it was private, and yet there was an open public nature to it. Toward Jerusalem, why this? This is his homeland. This is the center of the worship of the God he's praying to. This is the very place that David and Solomon both indicated that God's people ought to turn to pray toward Jerusalem. And so Daniel isn't making this up. This is part of a tradition. This is part of a a history that he's living into and his practice isn't just something he dreamed up on his own. He would get down on his knees. There's something physical about this spiritual practice. Sometimes we think spiritual things are totally devoid of physical. But friends, we we can't do anything spiritual without this body. This body, as Dallas Willard and Richard Foster have taught us, this body is what we either do things with or stop doing things with in order to place ourselves where we can come in contact with the living God who's always there, remember him, be aware of him, let him do his work on us. That's Those are spiritual disciplines and practices. They involve a body. And so here Daniel gets down on his knees an expression of his humility before God, using his body. Three times a day. There's a a regularity, there's a rhythm again to, to his practice. Three times a day, where did he get this? The Psalms refer to Approaching God in the evening, the morning, and at noon. The Jewish day starting at sunset, evening, morning, noon. There was a rhythm to the way one in the Hebrew culture would approach God. And in that rhythm, Daniel was just living into this tradition three times a day. To pray. This is the purpose. It wasn't just to center his mind and his own heart and to take a deep breath from all these pagan rulers who were after his life around him. No, it was to come in contact, to be aware of and in touch with and conversing with the living God he worshipped, to pray to him with requests, to bring him praises, to seek his mercy. That's what Daniel is doing with this time, just as he had done previously. So he continued what he had done previously, The whole verse is wrapped in this habitual rhythm that Daniel had established for keeping himself in touch with the living God in a foreign culture. That regular rhythm got him in trouble. That regular rhythm that the other leaders counted on got him trapped. He continued his prayers. They came and found him. They went to the king and charged him with this disobedience against the law that had just been established. I'll let you read the rest of the chapter because there's there's good there, but we have enough to chew on just with what we've already gone through. I would like to suggest that you and I can enter this story, even the story to where we've come so far, and say, first of all, we live in a foreign culture. If you haven't noticed that Christians aren't at home here we have a citizenship in heaven and often the the ways the language the names were given in this culture just don't fit our heavenly citizenship we're in a foreign culture that I believe is going faster louder more cluttered pushing God and spiritual things out to the edge, if not completely out of the picture. That's the kind of culture we live in, and regularly the the culture is giving out its expectations that we would pray to no one else but the gods of materialism, money, things, progress, growth, success, technology, and we could go on with the list. Those are the gods of, of our age and we expect you to pray to them if you live among us how are we going to survive in that kind of culture that kind of world how are we going to live here in this fallen world as god's people and stay in touch with him friends i would suggest we need to do as daniel did we need to dare to be a daniel and realize that we need to enter into some kind of rhythm in our lives that keeps us mentally, daily, weekly, every year, maybe monthly in touch with certain rhythms that remind us of the God we're worshiping. I don't think we need to be real legalistic about this. There's, There's actually quite a bit of freedom In scripture, we could be like Daniel and say, I want to do the three times a day. Even if he drew this from the Psalms, the Psalms also indicate twice a day rhythm. One of the psalmists says, seven times a day, I pray. You go to the life of Jesus and there clearly seems to be a pattern of early morning, get off by himself. And the disciples even knew where they could find him at that time. There was a a regular rhythm that he had. Peter and John go into the temple courts at 3 o'clock in the afternoon for the the regular Jewish prayer hours. The early disciples did not divorce themselves of the discipline of, of this regular prayer time. In the first century, we know that the early Christians, in a document outside of our scripture, the early Christians were encouraged to pray the Lord's Prayer, three times a day. Even in the 6th century, the Benedictines kind of stretched that out in their monastery lifestyle, and they established an eight times a day prayer schedule. So you see, friends, it's not a matter of certain strict, rigid schedule. The idea is find something that works for you, that keeps you mentally in touch with the living God in this fallen world in which we live because it's going to press God out of your life unless you build in some, some daily, weekly, maybe monthly, annual kinds of rhythms. When you stop and think about it, all around us are rhythms. There's day and night as this earth spins. There's the phases of the moon. There are the seasons of the year. Even within our own body, if you're sitting still and quiet enough, you hear the the beat of your own heart. You hear the breathing in and out to concentrate on that. All around us are the rhythms of schedule. We eat in certain times of the day. We sleep. We work. There's a rhythm to all of life. Why not a rhythm to our spiritual lives? To set something up and and enter into that with a sense that this keeps me and helps me to stay in touch with God in in this broken, fallen world where I'm prone to wander from him. So friends, the the idea of rhythm is basic. The idea of finding within the freedom of setting up your own rhythm, there's there's quite, quite a bit of freedom and flexibility and variety out there. I would just say find something that works for you and lock in on it and continue it and keep it going no matter what happens in life. What are some of the things that might be a part of this time? Whether we call it, you know, the quiet time or devotions or prayers, whatever name you give it, what are some of the key parts? Peter Scazzaro and the material that we've been using as a guide through this sermon series is encouraging us to, if you haven't noticed, emotionally healthy spirituality. We've been talking a lot about emotional health, and we need that. But now we're really turning a corner to, it's spirituality. It's not just emotional health, it's spirituality, how we are aware of and in touch with and allowing to shape us, our living God. Well, a key thing is to stop. The stopping is the first thing he recommends. We have to get off this merry-go-round. We have to get off this treadmill. It is going faster and faster. And we have to stop. Just stop. That's, That's the meaning of the word Sabbath, is to just stop. Get out of that rat race and stop. The stopping is a key point in this kind of quiet time and rest and contact with God. Stopping, the second is stillness. Boy, is that talk about countercultural stuff! Stop, be still. The psalm we we read early has God saying, "Be still and know that I am God." Is it possible we're not going to know Him in our busyness? Is it possible that we'll Miss out on that still small voice if we're just constantly caught up in the, the racing rhythms of this world. No, we need to establish some spiritual rhythms that cause us to stop and be still. And then there's silence. Oh, countercultural stuff, folk, I know. Silence. It drives us crazy. Sometimes we don't even allow it in our worship space. It's like just a few seconds and we get uncomfortable. Don't we have to fill with noise? Silence is one of the key principles of just being quiet. The centering prayer discipline causes us to just sit still Focus on our, our breathing and our heart beating and just be silent. That silence is, is what Elijah found, that God wasn't in the, the wind, wasn't in the earthquake, wasn't in the fire. Where was God? God was in the, and it's hard to translate, the sound of silence. is what Simon and Garfunkel said. The sound of silence. That's what we need to see. And then the last S is Scripture. Scripture, whether it's Psalm 23 or the Lord's Prayer or any small portion of Scripture we're drawn back to or we're reading through, to take the time to just let Scripture speak to us. God speaks to us through this book. And we respond to him in prayer to let that conversation be at the heart of this reason for stopping, being still and silent so that we can converse with God. Those are some of the key principles. So friends, I I want to encourage you today to find a rhythm that allows you to do those things on a regular basis. I don't think you can do it once a year. Sabbath comes once a week and that that corporate time together is part of our rhythm. But also daily is what Men and women through scripture and through church history have modeled for us. There's lots of possibilities, but a daily rhythm of something that works for us is key. I would encourage you to find something if you haven't already discovered it. Keep it going if you have discovered it. Maybe share it with somebody, not out of boasting, but just to have some accountability. Maybe ask someone this morning in our garden court time, uh, what is it you do to stay in touch with God on a a regular daily basis? What are some of the things you've learned so that we might even take from one another? Be flexible in whatever plan you enter into because maybe things will change. Maybe you'll learn some new ideas and whatever tool you use, I know some of us are using Day by Day, the little guide that's going through these themes. But you may have another guide that helps you. Whatever it is, find that. Lock in on it. Do it for a long while. But be open to some possibilities of change. But know this, if whatever rhythm you choose should someday get you in trouble and you end up in a den of lions of maybe your own sort, know this, that the God you've come to know, the God you've spent time with and has spent time with you, will be right there in the den with you. And he wants to deliver you. He is the living God, the eternally living God. As I pray, I want to read the prayer of a prayer I found in my research this week. It comes from a little book entitled The Unhurried Life. Let's pray. Father, Son, Spirit, enable us to live unhurried, resting and communing with you. Enlighten our eyes to see whatever your Spirit is showing us. Open our ears to hear whatever your Spirit is saying to us. Quiet our hearts with your songs of love. Draw our minds to focus on things above and not on empty human concerns. May that which blesses us become a blessing to others. We ask this in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit.